Hi, this is Daphne Maxwell-Reed, and you are listening to TV Confidential. After that opening, I'm not sure I should tell you, this is Bob Crane again. Oh, hello there. Hello there, Charlie. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential, a radio talk show about television that will play part two of a conversation that began last week with entertainment legend Ridley. Ridley has a cameo appearance in a new movie that's available for streaming on demand right now. We'll tell you about that. Plus, Ridley will share memories of working with Raymond Burr on Perry Mason, James Garner and Jack Kelly on Maverick, Marlena Dietrich on Witness for the Prosecution, and a whole lot more. We'll play part two of our conversation with Ridley in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Rita Lee, of course, also starred with Bob Crane and Werner Klemper on Hogan's Heroes. With that in mind, we will begin this hour by playing part two of a conversation we began a few weeks ago with Carol Ford and Linda Groundwater about the life and career of Bob Crane. Bob Crane, the beloved star of Hogan's Heroes, whose accomplishments in television and in radio are often overshadowed by the brutal nature of his unsolved murder on June 29, 1978, and the scandalous nature of his addiction to sex. Carol and Linda are two of the authors of Bob Crane, The Definitive Biography, a comprehensive cradle-to-grave exploration of the life and career of Bob Crane that includes first-hand knowledge from more than 200 people who knew Bob Crane personally and better than most, including family members, his friends from Connecticut, his colleagues from television, the theater, movies, and radio, and the addiction counselor, whom Bob Crane sought out and began working with in an effort to overcome his addiction in the weeks and months before he was murdered. Bob Crane, the definitive biography available wherever books are sold online through Amazon.com and the usual online retailers uh, for more on the campaign to get Bob Crane inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Vote for BobCrane.org. Vote numeral for BobCrane.org. There are two Facebook pages devoted to the Bob Crane book, Bob Crane Life and Legacy, and Bob Crane, The Definitive biography. Carol, we said this uh, off mic. I think we also said this early in our conversation. Hogan's Heroes made Bob Crane famous. The murder and the scandal surrounding his addiction made him infamous. But radio is what really made him a star. Well, radio made him a star on the East Coast and it made him a star in Hollywood, not necessarily a star uh, nationally or internationally. He was a drummer when he was in high school. He he loved his drums. Everything was music. Everything was drums. And at the time, his ambition was to play. He wrote this in a, in a uh, high school newsletter. His ambition was to play with a CBS studio orchestra. He loved he loved his drums. He wanted to play with the big bands. The only problem is, is that when he graduated from high school in 1946, the big band era was on the way out. And so he he graduated from high school. He joined the National Guard. He also went to work for a jewelry store, which a lot of people don't realize 
uh, and he hailed himself as the most miserable watchmaker uh, <laughs> because he just he he did not want to go into the jewelry store business. He wanted to go and do something that would keep him close to his music, which at that point then became radio. So in Stanford, Connecticut, he was sending his audition tapes out. He was sending letters out all up and down the East Coast. And finally, he got a call from WLEA in Hornell, New York in March of 1950. And that's where he gets his big break. He he goes to, and, and I'm going to let Linda tell the story because this is a story that, that she got directly <laughs> from uh, <laughs> Bob's cousin Jim. But he, he goes out to uh, Hornell, New York. And Linda, I'll let you finish that. <laughs> To this 19, 20, you know, this 20-year-old kid, because Bob was very young when when he began all this. On his way to his his first radio show, he sent a tape to New York. He thought, great, I'm going to get picked up and be able to to go in. And he, his cousin Jim told us that he got partway there and his car broke down and he didn't want to miss his interview. So he kept going and he got picked up by a fella on a hay wagon and ended up <laughs> getting to the interview you know pretty much on horse and cart Robin had hay sticking out of his clothes and smelling just so aromatic and walked in and said i am ready to be on the air and they said are you really here's the broom when would you like to start <laughs> So they hired him as the custodian, as the janitor. And so what do you do? So, so you say, okay. And so at I'm that point, yeah, I'm, I'm working in radio, yes. in the building, yes. but I'm working in radio. And so for the first week, it was literally one week, he is sweeping the floors and he's cracking everybody up. He's cracking all these jokes and he's just being really funny to the point where within a week, they had a huge uh, turnover, a, a big staff turnover. And they said, you know what, that guy, the janitor over there that we hired, he's pretty funny. Let's put him behind a mic. And that's how he got his first radio job. And so that's where he started doing, because WLEA was a small rural rural station, he could experiment. It wasn't union, you know, where back in 1950, you had union, engineers union, where the bigger stations couldn't touch the records if you were the DJ. If If you were the one on the air, the engineers were going to do all of that. You were just talking into the mic. But at WLEA, he could actually play the records. And so he started experimenting with sounds and with gimmicks and, and sound effects and, and so on. And so one of the very, very first things that that he did was it was a Borden's milk commercial. And he got himself a little salt shaker and he filled it with water and he had a little cup of water and, and he went on and he was like, OK, I'm doing Borden's milk. Borden's milk is great, wonderful. And look, the milk is so fresh. And then he would take the salt shaker and he would sprinkle the, the water into the cup so it would sound like he was actually milking Bessie the cow or Elsie <laughs> the cow. And there he thought, you know, the, the, the milk is so fresh while well, the eggs are fresh too. And then he had a hen cackling and it would do the blah, 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 blah. and then so from that point that head followed him all the way through his radio career by the time he gets to WICC in 1952 he is actually using that hen as it was going to rate the records and so he had what he would call the the um you know the hen would actually cackle and every time it would lay an egg how many plops would, would, would you know if it was like 10 plops it was a terrible record uh and so on and so he was doing all kinds of sound effects and things like that uh then he got into voices and he was doing voice impersonations something that people don't realize 
is Bob Crane. By the time he gets out to KNX in, in Hollywood, he is considered, KNX considers him uh, one of the, you know, he, he's a man of a thousand voices. He is a, he is a leading uh, voice impersonator, and he can impersonate everybody and anybody that, that he puts his mind to. And so he had all of these records with his voice recordings on them, and he is in the studio. Uh, they had they almost had a huge strike because he wanted and needed to play his own records uh, between the engineers' union and and the station. Uh, it's a, it was a big, big deal. But long story short is, is that he did prevail. The station did prevail. He, they were able to hire Bob. And so he now is doing, He's he's got what he called a horseshoe, which was the tur- all of his turntables. He had up to six turntables around him that he could maneuver the different records that he needed. He could actually look at a record and see the, the look at, by just looking at the record, he could know exactly where to put the needle, exactly where that stylist needed to go and play exactly what he needed to at seconds notice uh so he was as they called him out at knx a radio genius um you know he was doing things in radio that had never been done before or very rarely done before at least officially and by the time he's out there he's doing you know he had started doing it out in in uh wlea in hornell out in bridgeport connecticut at wicc uh, he's he's what he called making sport with the commercials, making messing with them. I equate it to you go and you watch the Super Bowl, even if your team isn't playing, because while you're going to watch the commercials, he was kind of doing that same kind of mentality, but with the commercials that were airing on the air. Uh, so he was having all of these different uh, sound effects and gimmicks and things like that to enhance the commercial, to make the listener actually want to hear the commercial and hear what the product was yeah there's so many stories so many different things uh one of the best examples that you can hear is we have it up on our youtube channel it's a winston cigarette commercial where he is actually having a conversation with a character that he has invented who he says is his engineer which isn't his engineer but it's like a lipid von drake character and he is talking um to this character on the on the record that he's already pre-recorded, but it's him. And this is all centering around Winston cigarettes. Today, Jack Chapman is probably more widely known than I am. Jack has a feeling that he is the important one. Even in playing records, he doesn't think the singers are important, the musicians, nothing. Musicians mean nothing to singers, Uh, dancers. Yeah, I know. None of them mean nothing. I know, Jim. And it's true, because if you don't have a good engineer, you're never going to get to Cleveland. (laughs) Now I'm going to tell you about tape. Now, I, I tell you about tape. Now, you take a piece of tape like yeah, this, and you yeah. put one piece over here on one side of the mouth, one yeah. piece on this. No, room. that's not the kind of tape, Jim. What am I doing? That's the wrong kind that's of tape. That's not like that the tape. Put the right tape on. a tape on. machine, you don't use that kind of tape. Right, you put the like right tape on. Like for bandages or something yeah, yeah. Like put, that. Put, put the right tape on. This is just to show you what a great engineer can be for a show. Go ahead. Altogether different. Yeah, all together. You put the tape on this side, and then yeah. you put it over a little thing over here, and then yeah. you twist it around over there, and you put another reel here, and then you turn on the machine, and here's what you hear on the tape. Winston tastes good like a... So to really listen to how this show was put together, you can listen to all of that on our YouTube channel. 
finally, the final component out at KNX was he did do the celebrity interview component. It was the only live uh, radio interview show at the time that uh, was unrehearsed. It was live uh, interviews daily with the top names in Hollywood. And that started in about 1961 and lasted until uh, he ended his radio career at KNX in 1965 so that he could concentrate on Hogan's Heroes. Uh, but just just dynamic in radio. He is not given enough credit for radio. Uh, that is something that we are trying really hard to bring to the forefront. Yes, Hogan's Heroes, that made him an international celebrity, but where he was really a genius, an absolute genius, was in radio. And if you want to be part of the campaign to try to get Bob Crane inducted in the National Radio Hall of Fame, vote for bobcrane.org vote numeral four bobcrane.org stay with us folks we'll be right back carol ford and linda groundwater two of the co-authors along with d young of bob crane the definitive biography available wherever books are sold online through amazon.com and all the usual other online Retailers, a couple of things you touched on. There was a little behind-the-scenes drama. There was an obstacle before he could come to KNX with, with the engineers because he wanted complete control of the show, including the right to play his own records in real time. In doing that, in winning that battle, he paved the way for other on-air personalities to do that, didn't he? Yes, he oh, did. Oh, he absolutely did. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Linda. He also made it much more of a working relationship with the engineers as opposed to that's the engineer. He plays the records and he's mm. over in that room doing mm -hmm. his thing. And when I hit the key, when I send the signal, uh, then he's going to hit the record. He would he had, of course, the, the horseshoe and the horseshoe was something that was designed specifically for Bob and he could run it with his feet and his fingers and be doing 10 things at once. But when he wanted to do something special, I mean, he had to have a working relationship with his engineer because there's only so many things you can do at once. Even Bob had some limitations and he could do, you know, he could have pre-recorded voices and hit that sound on the record and whatnot. But the engineer worked with him and he often gave credit to his engineers. Yes. Um, and, and off the top of my head, Carol, you'll be better at this. I can't remember all their names, but, the, you know, there were there were two or three had over the course of his time in radio and he yeah. always made sure that they were not treated like here you know but bob was somebody that you could could watch do radio and look i used to work in radio and i know you've done radio and carol will certainly know just from what we've been doing over the years radio watching a radio person can be a really dull experience it was not a dull experience to watch bob at work i mean no. i walk into a booth stick on my headsets and read my read my copy but with with bob the advertisers the salesmen would bring the advertisers to the station to watch him do his show because right. he would play drums he would bring in people he would bring in animals he would be running the horseshoe with all the records he could pull out a record as carol said and have it done in you know two seconds he had to set this up he was good to go. You know, he just had, he had it. He was, even people who did not necessarily care for other aspects of his outside behavior had to admit and were quite honest about that to us that he was an 
absolute genius when it came yes. to radio. He was. You could you could not deny that what he did was extraordinary. He create he didn't create, but he popularized mm. um, and kind mm-hmm. of brought more into the open the idea that a radio person could be more than just somebody who spun records. He could be a real personality, but not just a radio personality, a real force to be reckoned with. They called it when he went speak to people, they wanted to yeah. see him do his radio show, which is really unusual if you're standing in an appliance store. But he managed. <laughs> <laughs> they called it a spectator sport. When we talked with the KNX folks, they a couple of them said it was a real spectator sport. It was something that you could watch. It was exciting. And as Linda said, it made it, you know, it was something that brought radio personalities from behind the booth, behind a mic, to just this incredible force to be reckoned with. One of the many things he was masterful at, and he may have been the first to really do this, is what's known as a live spot. Now, in, in, in radio, a live spot is when you read the copy for the product on the air in real time, either coming out of the break or maybe in between the re, uh, the, the, the transcribed recordings of uh, Macy's or, or whatever. And uh, what Crane was so good at is he would perform the copy in a way as if it was coming off the top of his head. And sometimes it was. And one of the points you, you make in Bob Crane, the definitive biography, is that advertisers didn't care if he did it straight as long as he moved product. And more often than not, he did. Yes. And I'll tell you, one of the very early uh, stories of that was in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And that was at WICC. And it was from uh, a man who owned a sandwich shop. And in Connecticut, as Linda will tell you, uh, it was a grinder shop. We call them hoagies in Philadelphia and New Jersey. Uh, In Connecticut, they call them grinders. And so Bob got copy to read an ad for uh, these specialty sandwiches that were going up for sale at at this grinder shop, the sandwich shop uh, in Bridgeport. And so he's going on and he's saying, oh, you know, you better uh, go to, you know, so-and-so's, you know, sandwich shopping, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, today the special is, you know, this this sandwich and, and it's got all kinds of things in it. And it's got ham and roast beef and lettuce and cheese and street uh, bits of chunks of concrete and dirt and rocks and pebbles and, and uh, leaves. And so he rattles off this whole thing of kind of impossible things that could be in a sandwich. And before he even finishes the commercial, the guy who's listening, the owner of the sandwich shop, calls WICC and says, you've got to fire that guy. He's ruining my business. And so Bob gets hauled down into the general manager's office and they say, you know, don't do that again, you know, and they scold him and they say, we ought to fire you and so on. And maybe they even did fire him uh, for a few minutes until the sandwich shop owner called back and said, <laughs> and said cancel that order. Because it's lunchtime, mm-hmm. and the line is out the door, around the corner, and down the street. Because I've never been so busy in all my life. Because they want to all see what I'm putting in my sandwiches, and if I'm really putting in bits of concrete. And so, the way Bob got people to listen to the ads, um, there were very, very few advertisers that actually said after they got to understand Bob's way of promoting a, a, a product or a business that this was actually going to help them. He wasn't making fun of the business. He wasn't making fun of the product. He was enhancing the product. He was enhancing the business. And it was getting people to not turn the dial, getting people to actually listen 
and say, oh, wow, you know, that's kind of different. That's kind of funny. Let me go down there and check that out. And and so they're really when he by the time he gets to K and X, I think if I'm not mistaken, they said maybe the 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 sales guys told us that it was maybe about two or three advertisers that said nope nope we don't want them to mess with it. But but all the others, there was actually a premium for Bob Crane to you know you had to buy uh, chunks of airtime mm-hmm. and you could not just buy Bob Crane alone. First there was a premium out at K and X to buy airtime on his show. And then you always had to buy with another, a couple of other uh, slots mm-hmm. where they maybe weren't as popular. And so these advertisers saw the value in what Bob was doing. They liked it. And like I said, there was only a couple, there were only a couple that said, no, we don't want them to mess with our ad. We're pretty, you know, we want to keep it as is. Uh, but, but most of them came on board and said, yeah, you know, let's, let's do this. And, and, um, and, and it works. And like we know today, when we see a funny ad, we remember the Geico commercial ads or, you know, the state farm, what are you wearing? Jake from state farm. We remember those things because they're funny. And that's what Bob was doing in radio. And we're remembering what Bob Crane did in radio, both on the East coast and on KNX in Los Angeles, along with Carol Ford and Linda Groundwater. Carol and Linda are two of the Authors of Bob Crane, The Definitive Biography. We'll take a quick time out, then we'll talk some more with Carol and Linda when we come back on TV Confidential. Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now is the perfect time to do something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. 800-890-1032. 800-890-1032. That's 800-890-1032. You can now purchase t-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential, cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.